Welcome to the Kenmore Church Podcast. We are all about filling hearts and fueling mission. We hope this content builds your heart and mind and equips you to reveal Jesus in this season of your life. So now I want to really set the scene for where we want to go in the next little while. And um, something in me as a minister, I've been in the game for a little bit now, I'm beginning to not enjoy sermon series. The whole idea of a sermon series, it's almost like, oh, we've got it all mapped out and, and all that kind of thing. And there's real benefits for that, um, but it also can take out a little bit of the, the presence and what's God saying aspect. So I'm, gonna, I'm sort of mixing the two. I just, as over summer, as we were, I was praying and reading my own uh, books and stuff through devotions, was just very stimulated, arrested by some of the ideas and, about what I want to bring out. And we really did preface that at the end of last year. So if you've been listening to the messages online, you'll begin to get a, a, an idea of what we're about. But this series, uh, which is a non-series, is really the, the radical heart, the root of all things. And what I want to do is save you from church, save you from religion, because we're well and truly overdue for the wineskins to burst, for a new way of doing church. Uh, to, to continue to evolve what this thing is that we do. But the trouble with evolution, sometimes it's better to have a revolution than an evolution because an evolution builds on what's there. But if what's there isn't solid, if what's there doesn't apply anymore, then we're just building another layer on something that already doesn't work. And I love Sundays. So I'm, I've always been a believer in the Sunday space because as human beings, it started off in the early days, we always had a town square where you knew in the rhythm of your life you could come together, you'd be meeting the people you know, you'd hear the news, um, and then church became like that central place. And despite the fact that you can get better content than I can preach online any day of the week, it's fine, um, you can't replace the central place, uh, the place where we all come here together and, and the, the presence of God dwells in the praises of his people. And there are things that happen here that can't happen on your own. There's a synergy of faith. There's the, 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 just the wonder of being caught up in worship. All those sorts of things need human connection and relation. But the form of church that we've become over the last 2,000 years has morphed and evolved into different things. And it's due for an upgrade. It's due for a change because humanity is changing. We're in the midst, um, on the first third of an industrial revolution that leads through to disruption and all those sort of things, and it births a new opportunity for spirituality to be reborn. And whilst the stats are saying that the church world, as it stands, is declining in some ways, the spiritual world is increasing. As there's opposition to the way things are, there's opportunity for the way things will be. And so without breaking the wineskin, so to speak, because I don't think that's the answer, I think Sunday church is always going to be a great idea, a weekly rhythm of our life to come together. What I want to do is stretch the heart within that because people say Sunday doesn't work anymore, religion doesn't work anymore, so they're going to other options. And I'm not sure that's wise in a Western context because this works as long as the heart of this is working. There's a heartbeat that's pumping. And so I, I, I don't want this sort of part of the wineskin to break, but I want the heartbeat to start pumping again because what we do here is the form. It's the way it's looking, but the freedom inside can be lost. Paul says in Galatians 5.1, and, and uh, it was spoken through in the worship set, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and don't let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. He's talking to Gentile believers. So that's us. We, we weren't, for most of us, we weren't born with a, a Jewish Hebrew heritage. The Ten Commandments aren't written on our doorposts. Uh, we, we've, come, we've been grafted in, Paul says. And so, but what happens, and religion has always done this, is we say, that's fine, you're welcome in, 
but now you need to learn how to stick to the rules because we're religion, we do rules. We do rules really well. And rules are really great because we can control people and we can use fear through the rules. Going to hell in a handbasket sort of thing. And we can, we can manipulate societies through the rules. But it doesn't work anymore. And it actually never did. The kingdom was never made from rules. It was always relationship. And so the form that we rely on, which, which I've just labelled as the rules, can rob us of the freedom. And Paul's saying, you weren't born to go into slavery to the rules. What are you doing reverting back to emphasising what I haven't emphasised? It's the freedom that's housed within the form that matters. And so we can so easily, because we get into the habit of life, almost serve like an idol the form. And I can get you busy and I can put you through all the systems and I can become a church growth pastor and all that sort of stuff and miss the whole point again. When the whole point is, what's going on in here? And, and this wild heart of Christianity needs to come out. I love the book by Erwin McManus and it's a great read if you want to get in there. It's called The Barbarian Way. It's one of those ageless books. And, he, and I just want to quote something. He says, how is it that for many of us, being a good Christian is nothing more than being a good person? The entire focus of our faith has been the elimination of sin, which is important but inadequate, rather than the unleashing of a unique, original, extraordinary, wonderful, untamed faith. You are not intended to be a spiritual zoo where people can look at God in you from a safe distance. You're a jungle where the spirit roams wild and free in your life. You're the recipient of the God who cannot be tamed and of a faith that must not be tamed. You're no longer a prisoner of time and space, but a citizen of the kingdom of God, a resident of the barbarian tribe. All the men there, the knuckle-dragging guys go, yeah, I'm a barbarian. God's not a sedative that keeps you calm and under control. By dulling your senses, he does quite the opposite. He awakens your spirit to be truly alive. You're most fully alive when you're on an adventure with God. This stuff gets my heart racing. I think, man, show me, Lord, again, the barbarian way. I've gotten too civilised. The church has gotten too civilised. And over the holidays, you know, most of you know, I'm just addicted to knowledge and documentaries. I watched a documentary that for probably the 25th time has described to me uh, dinosaurs and T-Rex. And, and this time, this was a new one, this time T-Rex had a bit of green and yellow and feathers. I think, okay, even T-Rex is still evolving all these years after he's dead. And it went into incredible detail of the colour and texture on poor old T-Rex, who used to be the devastating Jurassic Park monster, now it's much more uh, beautiful and, and likes to prop up his feathers to impress his girlfriend and so on. And, uh, and they've, they've come to this conclusion, and I won't be dissing the science there, but there's new, new ways of analysing what they know. They come to uh, more evolved uh, uh, conclusions on that. But then they said, oh, well, we found a brand new dinosaur. I thought, oh, brilliant, this one's in Australia. And I thought, great, we've got a local guy, he'll have an accent and all this sort of stuff. But this dinosaur was magnificent. And then they had a long neck, the tail, the whole thing. And, um, and I thought, How did they, where did they find this fossil, this whole skeleton? And they hadn't. All they'd found were three bones that they put in the palm of their hand. And it was two fingers and one vertebrae. And they extrapolated from that this whole thing. And somehow, once again, I can't question that because the science says that. I go, great, I'll watch the next documentary and science will be giving you something else. But you, just, you get this unquestionable idea of how this whole thing happened based on these three bones. And religion's done the same thing. We've done that too. 
The Hebrews did it. They claimed that they knew God beyond any doubt. They knew his nature. They, how did they know that? They had three bones, the scriptures, and they'd then added to that and they'd extrapolated out uh, all their law and their principles and the whole deal and they'd made it way more than God had ever written in his book. They had their own book because God's book wasn't enough. They wanted to write it so, in so much detail that we're going to give you so many rules and regulations that you can't even get close to breaking the ones that matter. And this became the Hebrew religion. And by taking their three bones, they, they made God, they, instead of a T-Rex, he was a little goanna, a little shrimp, a little tiny lizard, and, and this wild God, this wild kingdom has been tamed again. And Jesus comes along and says, you know, you've, you've had the law and the prophets and all your other stuff, but now look at me. You want to look at God? You better look at me. And, and they think they know God, but, but they're sitting next to him in the synagogue and they don't even know who he is. Three bones and they've made God. The early Roman church did the same thing. Church history is a great warning for us. They had the scriptures, they had the New Testament and they took it and decided to fill in the blanks. And they said, no, we know the different practices now that have to happen and what's more, um, you need to give indulgences and, and we're, we're calling ourselves an infallible authority here because you've got to trust us because we know the Latin and we know and so the church became the infallible authority and not scripture. And Luther had to come and correct that. But what if all that we had, what if we started again with our three bones? What if we rebuilt the radical, radical heart based on what God has sovereignly chosen to tell us through the scriptures and what we sovereignly, personally have through experience? What if we were prepared to do that all over again? What if, we had, if all we had was what we can read, what we, we've experienced, and we took that core message what it meant to the people who read it back then, so we're not bending it out of shape, what did that message, when it came, what did it mean to them? And we look at that message and say, how does that apply to me now? How does that unzip now? What does it begin to look like? So what I want to do is, uh, today's parable that I want to share with you is the parable of the sower. Now you probably all know this from the Gospels, the parable of the sower, and we go, yeah, I know this one, the guy's got the little sack and he hands it out. But I want to give it to you in a modern context, and I want you to imagine... What for me is very easy to imagine because it was my experience. I had no church history. Imagine if there was no church. Imagine if there was, you'd never read the Bible. You've never thought about God and let alone been a Christian because there was no Christ yet. Imagine if Jesus hadn't come yet. But he comes in 2020 on February 1 and you're just going about a normal day with your normal stresses and all your normal distractions. Put yourself in this picture. And it may help if you close your eyes or whatever you want to do, but try and, try and bring yourself, cut off for a moment all the things that you take for granted about what is church life, what is Christianity. You don't know any of it. Hit a reset button. So you're just walking through your secular day and you walk past a crowd and there's a man just talking. He's not shouting, he's not screaming, he's not abusing, he's not pointing the finger. He's just sharing, he's just talking and there's a crowd listening. You think, that's unusual. No one does that anymore. And you're, you're just on your way to the coffee shop. You're getting your third espresso for the day and you're not planning on having your life disrupted. You're, just on, you're feeling a bit exhausted. It's, it's 8.15. <laughs> You've already had two meetings and you're on your way to the third and it's, and it's a hard one, so you want to get your coffee. And you, this week, you don't, you don't want to be disrupted. You don't want to be interrupted. Your week's already tied up and you're already tired. But then as you pass in this crowd, you lock eyes with this guy. He's 30-year-old, but just looks like a normal person. He hasn't got a bun on the back of his hair. He's not wearing a singlet or he hasn't got tattoos. He's just a guy. 
and you sense the invitation, you, in, just in his eyes. He's not desperate. He's not going to shout out to you, but he's welcoming. He want, he's saying, come, listen. He doesn't need you to attend, but he assumes that you need to hear this. And you can just pick this up. So you ask the guy next to you, who is this guy? And you realise pretty quickly, this speaker is very underqualified to impress me. I'll do a quick Google search and he's not there. But, and he speaks with this twang, sounds like he's from Roma or somewhere like that. You think there's just a bit of a country about this character. So you do a quick search through Instagram influencers list. He's not on there. But you know something's going on and you know it matters. But then as you listen to him, you find... There's something about this man and you just want to be like him. Now, you've got no framework. There's just this sense, whoever this guy is, I need to be more like him. I need to be close and around him. There's something about his peace and his confidence. And he's speaking about this thing called the kingdom of God. And you think, is this the Jehovah's Witnesses? You know, you know that reaction? It's like, is this, oh, this is one of those nuts. I don't, I don't understand, but you can't walk away. All you know is you don't understand. You've never really given God any real thought. You haven't had time. It can't be real because the science around says it probably isn't possible. But you have always wondered. You probably wondered if enough people got on board, if there was critical mass, then maybe then I would be able to know it's true. But I can't get away from this guy. And he stops talking. And he goes over to a grown man. And this man's in a wheelchair. He's deformed. And as you look at him, you think he's probably a victim of thalidomide, if you remember that condition. He's, he's got stumps for arms and, and he ha- he's unable to walk. And this Jesus walks over and puts a hand on his head and then on his stump and just invites him to stand up. And you're 10 feet away. It's not a trick. You're right there. You see the arms begin to grow over several minutes. You see his back straightening him standing up for the first time. And the healer there isn't boasting. He's not doing a high five. He just wants to hug this guy and bring in the fullness of life. And he turns over his shoulder and and Jesus does and asks the local millennial there to stop filming on his iPhone (laughs) just to respect the privacy of the man as he comes to grip with a whole new life. And he walks over to a lady with a scarf on her head and she's battling cancer. And he rubs her head and he kisses her cheek. It's personal. He knows her name. And he asks if he can remove the scarf. And underneath the scarf, her hair is black and her colour returns. And he looks at the crowd and he says, what you've just seen is what the kingdom of God is like. And he goes, this is what it means. This is what God can do. But Jesus looks around at the crowd and some of them are dumbfounded, calling their friends, saying, come on, Danny, you've got to be a part of this. Others are on social media, they're texting, they want this thing to go viral, they're more important. It's getting likes to them than it is to having recognising what's going on in their own heart. And the healer looks down for a moment and he can just imagine what's going to happen next. It's going to be all over the 6 o'clock news on Channel 7. It's going to be fake news, big claims, counterclaims, people shouting at each other, anger, and the big point's going to be lost that the kingdom of God looks like this. Some are going to be impressed for a moment. Some won't believe it, even if he raised the dead. To most of the world, he's, just, he's about to become an object of debate. He's going to be photographed, misrepresented, challenged. But still, he's at peace. He doesn't care because none of it really matters to him. And he looks at you and he looks at you and he looks at you and he eyeballs you and you know he knows your name. 
and he tells a story. Listen to me. A farmer in the scenic rim fired up a tractor to plant some seed. The crows came and took what missed the ploughed ground. It was too hard there anyway, but that's okay. The seed would never run out. But inevitably, some fell on good soil. It was wet soil, and so it grew and it bore a killer crop, the one the guy was looking for for ages. But a big portion fell somewhere between the path and the ploughed soil. It looked the part on top, but was hard underneath. So the root didn't take hold and the plant shriveled almost as soon as it could really look like it was just going to take hold and grow. And he looked at the crowd again who were back on their phones with their noses stuck to their screens and said, the kingdom of God's also like that. And you stop in your tracks. You know instantly what he's saying. You know what this is about. They were impressed by the miracle, but they weren't drawn to the man. They're going to walk away in a moment. They're going to go order their coffee before you do. They're going to have their meetings and worry about their sales figures. But you don't want to be like that, do you? All you know is that this man, you don't know anything about him, but he can be trusted and that he's powerful. And he's doing this not for himself. He's doing it for the world. Coffee can wait. You can skip the meeting. What now? How do I become good soil? How do I see the kingdom? Imagine that day, hey? It would just rock your world. And as I said, I've had that day and my world was rocked too. And if, but if you've been grown up in the church, well, you may not have had that experience. But this is the renewal. This is the refreshment. This is what we need. We need to meet Jesus again today. Almost as if we haven't met him before because we've over-civilized it and tamed him down. We've turned the dinosaur into a gecko. But imagine if that's all you knew. God is good. He's obviously real. God is powerful. That's all you know. You don't know the Bible. You've never read it. What would those realities do to you when you know God is good, God is powerful? Suddenly you'd be aware as you extrapolate out of that. That means there's eternity. That means the kingdom of God is coming here, that he wants to bring the kingdom here. And Jesus' emphasis was never get saved and go to heaven. His emphasis was come into the kingdom and bring the kingdom as, as it is in heaven and bring it here now. And I'm coming back. And this is what it's all going to look like. This kingdom is coming. And you'd look at your possessions and your ambition differently. You'd want to invest your time now in what's going to matter for eternity. You'd want to know how to bring this kingdom now. That's where all your time would go. Meetings wouldn't matter anymore. Religion never did in the first place. So why get bored with that? You don't know the language of church and the traditions and all the outward signs that now that we, that we thought matter. All the rules, all the stuff. I think life would look exactly like it did in Scripture, where they just went berserk. They became maniacs for this thing. They sold everything and gave it to each other so no one had lack. They'd invest their whole life at the expense of their life to give the good news. They'd learn how to grow more like this guy because he's offering them this life in them. How do we do this? How do we grow this? And that's the point of his message in the, in the parable of the sower, that there's a, there's a team thing going on here. You realise that the kingdom is so simple. I thought I had to know all this stuff to be going to heaven, but it's just trust, it's just faith. So this parable of the sower, Jesus is giving one big point. And the big point is that there are two players in this game of the kingdom. There's the seed, and out of the seed comes a little root called the radical, spelt like radical. 
the, our word, the radical person, sort of comes from this, but the, the original meaning was the radical root. It's the first thing that comes out of the seed. The seed falls to the ground and dies and outshoots the radical. And I'm bringing us back to this radical. What's radical Christianity look like? But it's not just radical us. That's God. He's the radical. right? There's, there's stuff that only he can do. But it's got to land in good soil. See, we're trying to teach ourselves sometimes, how do we become that radical? How do we do what God won't do? But we've got to say, that's his job. I've got to let him do what only he can do. If only I knew what it is he's, he's supposed to do and I knew what I'm supposed to do. Well, this is what Jesus is saying here. The parable of the sower is your responsibility is to be soil. You're the, you're the ploughed ground that can receive. There are elements to that soil that really matter. And then there's his part, which is to be the radical. We can't do it for him. And there's elements that come out of that, that if we are good soil, things happen in our life completely differently than if it wasn't there. So the radical is the part that, that is the kingdom, that is God, that is his power. The stuff that he can do that you can't do. See, trying harder to be religious and good is not going to fix you. A broken spirit needs a spiritual healer. That's his job. Personal growth can't limit the power of spiritual gifts. You just can't replace the anointing and the power of God to work in ways that you could never manufacture. That's his job. That's his anointing to work through us if the soil's working. Yoga and affirmations aren't going to restore the depths of your soul. You need God to do that. God can do what only God can do. You need God. You're designed for God. Your heart's alone without God. Religion is boring. Religion is horrible without God. But we, we find a way to make it so. And so we go from being atheists to being practical atheists, where we know all the stuff, but we don't know how to live from this radical root. We haven't seen power in a decade in our life. We haven't laid hands on someone and seen them raised up. But that's supposed to be normal Christianity, according to this thing, when it springs to life what's written in the book and so but we can partner and we can grow with that so jesus says he comes to us like a seed apostle paul put it this way he said i planted it as a, as a minister apollos watered it with his good teaching but god is the one who makes it grow so neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only god who makes things grow so we play our bit he says we're nothing we're not he didn't mean we're, we're nothing we're obsolete we've got to do what we got to do but god makes it grow and the point there is that everything starts small in the kingdom. If you want to see the kingdom come, it's going to start like a seed. And if we have good soil, we can grow it and it will develop. Our job is to be the soil. But if our heart is hard, if we're more worried about doing the scroll, he's not living there. If our heart is everywhere else, this kingdom doesn't come. So our responsibility is to be a home for the king. We are the soil. We've got to be a place where that seed comes and it feels at home and it can grow because we're, doing this, we're believing the same things. We're in agreement with the same theology about who God is good and God is powerful. We're a heart that has love. We're a heart that has humility, a heart that has devotion. But how can you tell if, you're, if you're, the soil of your heart is hard? It's really easy. And the Bible just goes there. It's one, of the three, it's one of the three things we've got there. How can you tell? Because when you come under a time of testing, what begins to leak out? What happens to the root of God in your life? You know, when you're under pressure, is it anger? Is, is it complaining? Is it fear? Is it, is it frustration? What happens when the time of testing comes? So Jesus said that in the time of testing, this is what this parable is all about, the root withered 
uh, sorry, the, the, the plant withered because there was no root. The radical, the radical had gone. Where's the radical? It couldn't take root because the soil wasn't there. So the time of testing is going to come on us routinely. But if the radical of that seed has not been made at home, then we fail. And you think, well, what, what is this time of testing? What is this radical and so on? Jesus' experience becomes a template. Um, if you look at uh, the three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke, you see that Jesus was tested in this very illustration that, that he was talking about in the parable of the sower. The heat of life comes. Satan comes and says, I'm going I'm to test this radical in your life. Is the radical there? Is it, is it growing? And if you read in Luke chapter 4 particularly, there are three tests that Jesus came to. And you can put yourself through these tests if you like. It's going to happen anyway. Uh, where the heat comes and, and you can tell, oh, hey, I, symptomatic, how's the soil in my life? First test, Satan came to Jesus. He's been called into the wilderness, so it's blisteringly hot. 40-day fast, he's hungry. Turn these stones into bread. You can do it. And the interesting thing about Satan's trial, he doesn't question faith in God. In fact, all he wants to do is manipulate it. So the tests that come won't be necessarily tests, do you believe in God or not? It's now, how do you live from God? How's the radical route going? He just wants to bump us one degree off track because that's enough to get us completely off track eventually. So he says, Jesus, you know, you're all powerful. God's on your side. Turn these stones into bread. Make it work for you, man. And we can do this. It's like, make life happen. Anyone ever done this? You go, I know what I need to do. I can work hard. I can be good. I can, I can get a career. I can do the whole thing. I can make the calls in my life. I can go the way that suits me. That's the test. Hey, make stones in the bread for your own life. Get the retirement plan sorted. Get your house sorted, the right car. Structure your timetable. Build a career path. Get it sorted. He's saying, turn these stones into bread. Make your life into something. That's the test. Jesus comes back and he replies because he'd, he'd witnessed the wilderness years, 40 years, where this was the same test. Man does not live by bread alone, but from every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. My job in life is not to turn stones to bread, it's to, it's to live from the bread of God. Because the radical root, in this radical root, what the first thing that comes that only God can do that you can't do is God's guidance and provision. That's what daily bread is. God's guidance God's provision. You can't make it up. You can't determine in your own heart what I need to do and say this is the way man must go. No, he guides. In the wilderness there was the pillar of cloud, the manner and so on. So this is the first radical route. second one was a test of um, worship and possessions. He says, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you all this stuff. Ever had a job offer like that? Or uh, you see the ad in the paper, you think, if I did that, Man, I'm earning 100 grand a year more, and then I'm going to be set. Wouldn't this be awesome? This is what Satan's doing to Jesus. I can give you all this stuff, and you know, the fleshy heartbeat in all of us would go, man, I'd have my own city, I'd have a roller and a Ferrari, and I could just do what I want. Good just to think about that. You know, and all you've got to do, it's, it's a victimless crime, Jesus. You've just got to bow down and just worship me. The idols in our life, all the shiny bits and all the things that we want to get, and he's, and he's, he's put that to the test. And Jesus comes back and they worship God alone. I'm not worshiping all this stuff. And it's that extra radical. It's a second facet of that little seed that sprouts out, and it's saving grace. It's the grace of God, the empowerment of God through uh, confessed lordship. We're only worshiping Jesus, and when we worship and bow down to Jesus, there's a grace that comes. It's salvation. 
It, we start with salvation and we keep on being saved. I'm being saved all the time. I continue, I'm more and more saved every day. I'm not bowing to the idols, I'm bowing to him. And we have a chance to do that in our worship time. Because from this empowering grace comes real power to live. Third one, just quickly, is uh, he said, jump off the temple, Jesus. Of course you want to do that, you know. Um, now just do it, because it and show the world how good God is because he'll save you. Jesus goes, don't put God to the test. What's he saying there? Is that Christians that sometimes, remember, he's just trying to beat faith one step off track. We, we call assumption faith. I'm believing God for. Has God told you? No, I'm believing God for. That's assumption. Call it. That's what the devil's doing. Assumption is, oh, if I do this, God's going to come through because I've got belief. Has he told you he's going to do it? If he hasn't, don't jump off the temple. Don't try to walk on water unless Jesus has told you to do it. Don't put yourself on a cross of martyrdom unless Jesus has told you to do it. If he says something, have faith in what he said. Don't put God to the test through all these assumptions that we have that God is supposed to do this in my life. He's supposed to heal me. He's supposed to give me a better wife or husband. He's supposed to fix my income. That's assumption. If God's told you that, then you can rely on it. Don't put God to the test. Because the radical kingdom root is that the power of God comes through faith and faith comes through hearing. Hearing by the word of God. It's really simple, hey? So there are these... And I'm going to tease those radicals out at some point, but not yet. Because this parable is about the soil. And all I'm doing here is just framing what our next little while is going to be about. I want to strip away religion. I've never liked it. I'm sorry. I come from an atheistic, antagonistic background. It never made sense to me then. It doesn't make sense to me now. And it never made sense to Jesus either. Because he said, it's about you and it's about me and it's about power and we're all barbarians here and let's get, spread this wild kingdom and get happy about it for goodness sake. Like you look at these tests that the devil put on him. Do you see Jesus being tested on the Ten Commandments there? Do you see him being tested about, do you know the Torah? It was about how do you live from and draw from and experience God? It's what's, what is this, what's the dynamic of this relationship that you've got? And his big point in that whole parable was the kingdom is not initiated through your good works or piety. It's all about the state of your heart and God wants to come and he wants to invade your heart and set it free. It's for freedom that we've been saved. To be free. So we don't need a new slogan for 2020. And uh, we just need new hearts. Through simple priority. I had a real pleasure the other night, and, I was, and I'll finish on this, and uh, the band can come up if you like, and we just, I just want to have us worship a bit more. I realise I've gone a bit long, but sometimes we've just got to get our heart breathing again. The other night I was out for dinner at a place, and I, I had no idea what to expect. I often I love having dinners with people, and... And these guys, are, um, I asked them for permission to share this story and they said absolutely. And, and they're, they're only loosely connected to our church and they're, they're going to another church. But I'd had uh, just contact with them through the years. And, I, and I'd spoken to, to the man years ago, must be 10 years ago, before he was a Christian. And um, he was a bit more hard of heart then. Nice guy and, and I lacked a few people skills and I think I actually offended him uh, and kept him out of the kingdom longer than he needed to be. But... Um, but his wife came along to one of our retreats. And, uh, you know, very proper English lady. And, um, but the barbarian way got hold of her. And God got hold of her. And she started to experience God. And she was like spiritually shaken, physically shaken by God's power. Never experienced anything like that before. And when she got home, this obviously got hubby's attention, you know. And he goes, well, I might 
pop along to church again, despite what Haggerty said to me, I'll, I'll give it another go. And he went to church and he too felt the power of God. First time in, in church for years and years, not a Christian. And he felt the presence of God and the power of God. It's this barbarian way is starting to kindle in his heart. But then as the band struck up to play, like we're going to in a moment, he was actually physically moved to tears at such an honour to be able to worship God. So this is unsaved 10 minutes ago. Awareness of God. He's real. He's good. And I get the honour to worship him. And so he gave his heart to Christ through the worship time. A year ago, though, he suffered uh, a really severe heart episode. Um, my friend Caleb here, as a paramedic, would call it a widow-maker. He was history, absolute history. They got him uh, just to the, um, to the hospital, and his wife is there, and she's distraught. She's thinking, I'm going to lose this guy. And uh, he was on the stretcher, and they were going to take him in, and, and, and he just held a hand, and he, and he just looked at her and said, are we both saved? not a theological question it was just like are we saved because she's shaken and he's not and, and I love her response she says I think so <laughs> it's okay you were saved and he says but then it's okay what happens next is okay if this is the last thing last time we lock eyes if it's our last moment it's okay because we're going to see each other again one day but as he said it something shifted and the power of God blew through the room. He felt it, his wife felt it, and the nurses felt it. It was almost like their, their little skirts got blown, and they all looked around and went, what was that? And then it was gone as quick as it came. Good soil had enabled the radical root, and out came faith. And no one knew, there was no awareness of I'm healed or anything else, but, but um, he went through whatever the procedure was that he had to go through, which was basically just checking. They, and... They started calling in all the staff because the check wasn't making any sense. He should have been dying now, but, but now he's actually, they check his heart rate, it's essentially normal. There's no evidence that anything's happened. It's as if it never happened. And so all the staff kept coming in. He, he described it as having all the nurses were climbing all over him trying to get the things to, to gel right because they're just not reading the signals the way they're supposed to read. But the kingdom has come. It's over now. It's better now. So all the signs of constriction were gone, the embolism had gone, the heart rate was normal, it was like it never happened. This is a barbarian way and he's telling a story and I thought, man, this is the Christianity I'm about. It's just faith, it's just simple. If I die, I die. If I live, I live. I just don't care, God come. And let's see what the barbarian way can begin to look like. It's fantastic. So next week I want to unfold and start just saying, what is it, the soil that we need in our life that fosters that? What if I treat it as sacred? I mean really sacred, the things that God treats as sacred. What if I, I called important what he called important? What if I was devoted the way they were in Acts chapter 2? What if I really worshipped as if I meant it? As if he was in the room with me? As if I should be on my face, not wondering what the next song's going to be? So I just want us to pray in a moment and... and uh, what happened to him can happen to some more people here today. There's some words of knowledge have come from the team as, as they were praying before the service. And uh, we'd love to over to the side here after the worship, just come and pray for you and just ask for healing into your life. Uh, somebody with a right foot, there's a, a debilitating condition in your right foot. Um, somebody with persistent lower back pain, that's probably going to be a, a few. Uh, but, but come on over and let's see what God's going to do there. 
but someone particularly who's suffering from anguish and anger and unable to let go of a situation. It owns you and you just want to be able to let it go, but in your own strength, you can't do that. And God wants to really um, help you trust him to restore some key relationships in your life that are broken that you can't fix. If that's resonating with you, please come and pray. Let's just see what God will be. Let's invite the kingdom to come after the service. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you that we get to be a part of this. And uh, we thank you that you're always good. You're powerful. That the kingdom is simple. Holy Spirit, I just pray, would you come? We're not alone in this room. We're not spectators here. We're not just making this up with an imaginary friend. You're right here. You hear the honor in our heart. So let our hearts honor you. Let us worship you. And if, you're not, if you've never placed your faith in Christ this morning, just feel led to lead us into this for a moment. If you would have said as you came in this door, I'm curious about faith that I don't have any. If God was worth following, I'd like to follow him. I'm telling you, he's worth it. And he wants to meet you. He's calling your name. He's been calling you all your life. And this is your moment. And all you need to do is say, Jesus, I can't do this on my own. I can't justify my way into your presence. You've done it for me because you paid the price. I can never pay. So Jesus, will you come into my heart? I trust you now. I don't trust myself. So let's just spend a minute just in silence in our hearts because salvation keeps coming. We all need to keep being saved. We're getting to heaven. You've got the ticket, but no, we need, we need more of that now. I need to be saved from my insecurities. I need to be saved from all the questioning and my lack of faith, my trauma and my brokenness and my ambition, my pride. It's killing me. I don't even know it. We need to be saved. Father, we place our hearts upon yours. We trust in you.